there. Welcome to You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, where we explore mysteries, hauntings, and family secrets from the great state of Oklahoma and beyond. I'm Shy. And I'm Shanna. We're wannabe mystery solvers and cousins that love to hash out our favorite whodunits during family time. Our husbands are afraid of us, as As they they should be. be. First spring or second, second spring. We're in. Are we on our final spring yet or are we in the, I don't know. I can't remember. We're not in final spring yet. It's 40 degrees outside. I mean, yeah, that's true. So second spring. Yeah. Second of five. Second of five. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Soon it'll be first summer. Motherfucker. That's true. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. (laughs) I will not. I can assure you of that. We were, when we were out at the land yesterday, I just kept, um, I I didn't keep thinking this, but I remember thinking uh, when we were talking uh, with Raven on her podcast that aired last week, by the way. Um. That you were like, it was the murderess of the murdery forest. It is. It's fucking terrifying out there. It really, it really could be in the right situations. Like I could see like on a foggy day, nice, chilly, foggy day that it would be quite scary out there for sure. Yeah. And there's no way at the moment until I start cleaning stuff up that you could actually run from someone. No, not without getting hit by 6,000 branches. 6,000 branches or getting caught up in blackberry brambles with thorns that ha- that are at least an inch to two inches long. Like they're crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. You can't run through our land without stepping in a, in a feral hog hole. <laughs> <laughs> they're all over the place. Yeah. I need to see what those look like. Because I don't... It just looks like... So, you know, when hogs, like, root around in the ground, so they Mm -hmm. take their snouts and they, like, they'll cut lines in the ground, in the dirt. But there's also huge holes where they go down and try to get stuff out of the ground. Right. So, holes are, like, as big as a pickle jar or as big as a five-gallon bucket. Okay. And they're just everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. Good to know, because we've, like, we'll see things out there, but I'm like, I don't know if that's, like. If uh, you see, uh, like, lines. Okay. Like, where they, they'll paw at the dirt, or they'll root at the dirt with their snouts mm-hmm. in a line, mm-hmm. and then a hole okay. next to it. Okay. It's probably feral hogs. Okay. Yeah, I don't think we have that. I don't think we have. You might not, because it's not but... very open. Yeah. So they do they usually just hang out in open areas? Like these are all the things I need to know. Um, Should I ever want to go out there without another person? Well, I don't think a feral hog's going to attack you or anything unless they have piglets. Oh, that's they're usually more scared of people than that's we are of them. So I just need. But that's what people say about snakes, and I'm a hundred (laughs) percent convinced that a snake is going to murder me. So (laughs) just for sport. 
Well, look at that one. She looks yummy. <laughs> like just for sport, a snake's going to attack me. Yeah. It's Shanna hunting season, fellas. Let's go. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, I just, it, I thought of that yesterday. I was like, oh, it's the murderous of the murdery forest. It is. It has to be. It's amazing. It has to be. I fit right in out there. Yeah. <laughs> just murdery all day. All day. So if you want to go listen to the episode that Shai is talking about, we joined our friend Raven on her podcast, The Sirens Podcast, last week mm-hmm. to talk about realtor safety mm-hmm. and safety in general for women who work in client-facing positions where they are frequently alone with clients. Yeah. So, yeah. It was fun. Stay safe out there, ladies and Got to. fellas. Got to. <laughs> so, okay, Shy. Shanna. <clears throat> so it's my turn to do an episode. Yes. You've been carrying this thing on your back like a fucking pack mule. Anywho's. <laughs> I've just found some really good ones lately. I got real lucky. Okay. So you know how I... Well, you know, but... <laughs> You know how I hate a thief? Mm -hmm. I hate a con artist. Yes. I cannot actually stand people. In general. In in general. (laughs) Just kidding. And specifically, (laughs) people that take other people's money on the premise of an investment. Oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. And with no intent to ever issue a return on that money or even use it for anything except for their own profitability. Ponzi schemes. Ponzi schemes. Mm -hmm. Ponzi schemes. Yes. And just a grifter in general. Right. Yeah. But so I come across this story. Okay. And it's, there is no murder. I'm going to be very upfront. So if you're here for the blood, if you're here for the guts, if you're here for the DNA, this is not the one. Not this week, guys. Not this week. But it is the largest con from the oil and gas sector ever perpetrated in American history. And it happened right here in Oklahoma. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. And we're not talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. No, no, we're not. So this one is not that. Okay. But it is a different one. Okay. And, okay, so I'm going to take you on a little trip. I'm ready. Back in time. I'm ready. Okay. Time machine. Let's do this. Mount up. Regulators, mount up. Okay. 1993. (laughs) We are going to take a little time machine trip. All righty. Back to 1980 1980 yeah okay okay so this was during the oil boom so the oil boom that happened in the 70s went from like 72 to 77 and so by 1980 Mm -hmm. oklahoma was coming off of the oil boom it was still like steady production it hadn't gone bust yet right People were still very involved in oil production in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of slowing down and, you know, just kind of plateauing, if you will. 
Okay. Okay. So do you think people were getting scared like, oh, God, it's plateauing Mm. and maybe could have led to this? I don't know if they were forecasting the bust that happened in the 80s, but it was definitely like slowing down. Production and activity were slowing down. So people were just kind of enjoying their uh, monthly royalties. They were just kind of seeing new activity not happening as much as it had been in the 70s. Mm -hmm. So it's just slowing down. People are enjoying their money. They're living their lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's the 80s. People are doing coke. They're going, they're wishing they had Studio 54 in like Oklahoma City or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was very small in the 80s. I don't remember the 80s very well. Early 80s. At this point, Oklahoma still has not legalized liquor by the drink. What? Yeah. So you could sell beer in bars. You can sell liquor in bars. Oh, I had no We had beer bars only. I had no clue about that. I didn't either. I know we still had dry counties. Yeah. I mean, at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But by the... Okay. Yeah, but you could not sell liquor by the drink. No clue. And things are like a little uncertain. They're not as cushy as they were in the mid-70s, but people are still just, you know, riding it out. Mm -hmm. So, you... I'm going to say you, Shy. Yes. You're an affluent person uh, in Oklahoma. Congratulations. Uh, yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> and you are looking to make really smart investments with a high return mm-hmm. in the oil and gas industry. Yes. And you start hearing about this younger guy that's like promising huge returns on investment into his oil and gas leasing business. Okay. Is he cute? I <laughs> currently know. I, but also his mugshot from the 80s was not cute. So I'm going to say no, but like maybe so some maybe, people were Maybe he was a good that. talker. If he's a, okay. <laughs> Sorry. He's... I'm just totally putting myself as an 80s woman. <laughs> okay. At this point, this guy, his name is Coy Everett. He's about 25, 26 years old prime at the of time. His life. The, pr- the literal prime of his life. Mm-hmm. He is a sports ball superstar from Shawnee. So he was like a big football player. He was like a big effing deal in Shawnee and around that area. He's well known in that area. And he is pitching an opportunity for investors that want in on the ground floor. Of this new company that he's building. Nice. Okay. All right. The company will be taking leases from mineral owners or buying existing oil and gas leases and then flipping them and selling them to large oil and gas companies for a 100% profit. Okay. All righty. So... This might be a good time to explain what oil and gas leasing is at a high level. Okay? Please do. <laughs> for Maybe for our friends that aren't in the oil and gas industry or that don't know oil and gas. And I'm going to keep this super high level. There is much more that goes on mm-hmm. in oil and gas leasing. And there's a lot of nuance. And it varies by state, et cetera, et cetera. So... When someone owns minerals, so let's say Shy 
owns 50 acres of land mm-hmm. and she not only owns the 50 acres on top of the land, mm-hmm. she also owns the minerals underneath. Yes. So down hundreds or thousands of feet. Yes. She still owns that. Yes. Shy owns with her minerals the right to drill or develop those minerals. So most people don't have the millions of dollars that it costs to drill an oil and gas well. So they they don't. They don't drill an oil and gas well, right? Correct. And the way that oil and gas is developed here in Oklahoma is an oil and gas company determines where they want to drill a well. So they have geological things done. They look at the rock underneath. They take some samples. They do all this stuff Mm -hmm. and determine this is a great place to get oil out of the ground. Correct. So they determine a 640-acre section, Mm -hmm. one big section, And they find all of the people that own the minerals in those sections, right? Yes. They determine who who the ownership of those minerals is. Within that 640 acres. Right. Mm -hmm. And the company will go and attempt to secure a lease for those people. And that lease says that Bob's Oil Company can drill on these minerals in this area and... Bob's Oil Company will keep 80% of the returns on those minerals, and the mineral owner will keep 20% of the returns on those minerals, or whatever the negotiated price is. Yes. So many oil companies don't want other competitors to know that they're attempting to develop this area. So they might send out a broker or a third party To approach the owners about leasing their minerals. So once these mineral leases are secured by a broker or a third party, they get sold to an oil company or the oil company reimburses these brokers for their leasing activity, Mm -hmm. essentially. Yes. So this is what this guy, Coy Everett, is saying he's going to do with this company. He's going to go out and either secure leases or he is going to buy existing leases and flip those to an oil and gas company and make profit on it, mm-hmm. which, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a, that's standard practice. It's standard practice. And for him, he's going out and he's looking for people to make this a reality. He's looking for his dream to become a reality. Right? All right. So, initially, he is telling people, if you invest, you will see a a 100% return on investment. This is a great opportunity. He is promising people a 100% return on investment, which, that's massive, Mm -hmm. right? So, initially, uh, he gets the first few people to invest and he is able to provide them with a hundred percent return on their investment plus 50 percent additionally okay okay so imagine if you will you 
uh, invested $50,000, you got your $50,000 back, plus you got an additional $25,000. That's a great investment. Yeah, it is. That's a great deal. For sure. This business model is a freaking winner. All of the investors are telling their friends, their family, their colleagues, whatever, hey, this guy is paying massive returns. Okay. Go invest with him. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So eventually, in the span of about a year, this guy amasses a sum of investments totaling over $30 million. Oh, shit. Okay. And that is in 1980 money. Uh huh. In today's money, that is over $108 million. Holy hell. That he gets people to put into the pot in a year. A year. So they're just handing out money willy-nilly. Hand over fist. Hand over fist. Just like, yeah, sure, take some of my money. Yep. He must have been a really good talker. Had to have been. Like, super charismatic, like, yeah. Riz out the wazoo, right? Knew all the words. (laughs) All the best words. (laughs) So he gathers all this cash. He's paying out returns sporadically to his investors, not consistently. Hmm. So people start asking questions. Mm -hmm. Where are the returns that I was promised? 100% returns. Like these people over here got 150%. Where's my 100? Right? Right. If the company is doing so well, why are there no returns? So all totaled, there are about 500 investors. What? Okay. With the largest investor putting in around $500,000. Oh, damn. So 500 people asking questions. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people blowing up your phone in 1981, right? Yes. A lot of people calling you saying, where's my money? Where's my money? Bitch better have my money. Where's my money? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Pay me what you owe me, in the words of Rihanna. Right. Right. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, dude. Like, <laughs> in the words of Kenny Rogers, know when to hold them, know when to fold them, you know, you know. In the 80s, that was this, yeah. That, that is what it is. <laughs> so it, it, it's, and it's not that these people just want their cash because they're rich and they're like missing some money out of their stockpile of cash. A lot of these people were being put through the ringer. And they're going through mortgage foreclosures. Oh, shit. And shit like that. So they're losing their asses in this investment because they thought it was a sure thing. (sighs) They were told it was a sure thing. If it sounds too good to be true. It always is. It always is. It always is. So only about 125 of the investors ever saw a return. Oh, damn. Yeah. And only a few of those who were the first initial people to invest with him mm-hmm. saw a full return on their investments. Okay. Uh-huh. So yeah. some people got a little bit and very few people got a hundred percent return. Okay. What? Okay. <sighs> it turns out Mr. Everett did know when to hold him and when to fold him because <laughs> In 81, he's like, oh, shit, the jig is up. He declares bankruptcy. 
And he's like, Michael Scott. And he's just like, I declare bankruptcy. You know? <laughs> God damn the office. Quotes. I know. I'm I know. just you and my coworkers. <laughs> I love you guys. But the office. Oh. So he he declares bankruptcy and goes in front of a judge listing millions of dollars in debts. And it's like an exorbitant amount of debt because he had set up these two companies mm-hmm. to, and I'm putting companies in quotation marks. Yeah. Two companies. It's an exorbitant amount of debt f- to like individuals. Okay. Right. Which were his investors. Right. And no other debt really anywhere else. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's not operating debt. There's not credit cards. There's not any of that. It's debt to individual investors. And the judge and the bankrupt- bankruptcy trustee are like, hmm, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So somehow, somehow, I assume it was a judge or someone that was really, really, really smart at the FBI watching these bankruptcy filings. The FBI gets involved and is like, somehow they caught wind that he has millions of dollars in debts as an oil and gas adjacent business. And the FBI is looking for oil and gas scams at this time. Oh, shit. In one article I read, they an, an FBI representative, a special agent, had said that at that current time, in 81, they were investigating hundreds, hundreds of schemes involving oil and gas adjacent mm-hmm. scams. I could see that. Okay. Yep. So... The FBI starts looking through his financials. They're looking through uh, his business practices and everything like that. They're inter- they're interviewing investors to determine what's been going on mm-hmm. and how he was able to get all of this money. And where did this money go? Right? Right. So eventually they charge him and they bring him before a federal court judge and he's just like yeah i was running a ponzi scheme what yeah he was like basically i was taking money from other investors to pay returns to other investors mm-hmm. and i was just digging myself deeper and deeper and deeper into debt i because there was no actual money coming into the companies except for investment. There was money. no leases being not that bought or sold. Not that this was ever not that we're ever brought into this investigation. No. And and he literally just said, "Oh yeah, no, I've never done that. I just was bringing these people in and then paying off each right. one as I bought more money in." So he says, "Quote So long as I was able to encourage even larger numbers of people to participate in my ventures, I could maintain the image of a successful businessman operating a growing and profitable enterprise. It's all smoke and mirrors. All smoke and mirrors. 
and he goes on to say, every time that I would return a so-called profit to a participant in my programs, I became much deeper in debt. So he's just he's just moving funds from one hand to the other. Right. And encouraging these people with their returns to tell their friends to invest with him because see how great these returns are. If you love someone, phone a friend. Let them know you're making these great returns. And then they stopped making returns. Because he was just using the money for himself. <sighs> yeah. Oh, you know, to be... To to have the fucking audacity of a mediocre white man. Am I right? Yeah. And to uh, <laughs> just give me the courage of Coy Everett. Yeah. And his 1981's Ponzi schemes. Yeah. Just give me that confidence. Give me the confidence of Coy Everett and his 1981 Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah. if you give me money, I'll give it back to you. Yeah. Basically. Probably. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. What? And people were giving him money. People were actively giving him money. They were like, well, yes, take my money, you cute thing, you. Yeah, you sweet little angel. I heard you played football in Shawnee, so oh my here's God. my checkbook. I, I love all the sports balls. Yeah, yeah. So uh -huh. at the end of the day, mm -hmm. in this situation, Koi <laughs> Everett winds up making a plea deal. With federal prosecutors okay. to plead guilty to three counts of wire and mail fraud, which <laughs> resulted in a 15-year sentence in federal prison. Okay, this was in 81. Got it. Also, his bankruptcy trustee wound up suing the investors who were able to get a 100% plus return on uh -huh. their investment. Uh-huh. To try to get some funds to distribute to the other investors who didn't get shit. Oh, okay? damn. It does not say how that turned out, though, because it's, I mean, it's a, it's a bankruptcy trustee proceeding. And I'm not sure if those people ever got any money back. Because I can tell you, from my perspective, I, and I'm just saying this, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but I'm just saying... If I was one of those people that got a 100% return on my investment, I'd be like, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving any money back. I got my money back. Yeah. I'm sorry for these other people, but I'm not. Yeah. Like. Right. Yeah. And that's a dick thing to say. Like, I'd like to say that I was bred the wealth, but I totally wouldn't. No, um, and at the end of the day, average Joe would be the same. They'd be like, I... Yeah, you're, I don't know what to say. This you're is not your, taking my money. That's a you problem, not a me problem. I yeah. got my money back. If the federal government feels some sort of way about it, I guess they can mm -hmm. come up with the funds to give back to these people. But yeah, so I don't know how that turned out. I would hope that they got a little bit of something because I cannot imagine that this guy squandered away thirty million dollars in the span of a year. I could but, do it if I needed to. <laughs> I was just gonna but say, I can't imagine. How you squander it away. Yeah, what did you do with it? Yeah, so he had to have assets somewhere, right, that they could liquidate? I don't know. I would like, think. If you just fucked it off on rounds of golf and, like, drinking whiskey, that's a problem. But <laughs> um, but surely you have some sort of asset that they could uh, impound and liquidate and then yeah. distribute some of those funds somewhere else, right? Yes. That's my thought. Anyway, 
that's neither here nor there. So I would like to say that this is how this whole story ends. It's not. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> in 89, okay. he is released out on probation and returns to Oklahoma City area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. In 92, he's working for a staffing agency, like, as a job. Right. He's working for a staffing agency. And decides to write himself checks over $50,000 from a checkbook that belongs to the staffing company. Okay? Mm -hmm. When the staffing company realizes that the checks were written and fraudulent, he is arrested and charged again with monetary crimes and sentenced to serve time at the Dick Connor Correctional Facility in Hominy. All right. Where... And let's be clear, he was not doing hard time. He did work release. Okay? Yes. He did work release from, like, 92 to 99. Okay? Mm-hmm. And during that service of work release sentence, mm-hmm. he worked for the city of Hominy at their wastewater treatment plant. Okay? hmm When he is released, he continues to work for the city of Hominy. Because they were like, this guy is a great worker. He shows up every day. It's awesome. He's killing it out there, like, living his best life. Over the next 11 years, he works his way up the ranks in the city and eventually is named their director of public works. So So he's working the long con. (laughs) The longest. longest What? And during this time, he's he's serving as director. Mm-hmm. He writes himself five or six checks in a in the period of a month for thirty three thousand dollars. The total thirty three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Okay. Okay. And he's just like, "This is fine. It's fine." A bookkeeper discovers it and turns him in mm-hmm. as she should as she should as she should and i think it's important to note in the story that i read about this he had already replaced the funds that he stole cuz that is theft he had already replaced the funds in the city account or whatever that he stole the $33,000 mhm by the time it was discovered, and she still turned his ass in. Yeah, because bad bitches getting shit done. Yeah. So this bookkeeper was like, uh, hashtag embezzlement. Hashtag I you can't you. do that. <laughs> yeah, Didn't I you just spend time in prison for the same thing, sir? And that's what I'm saying. Like, this dude had a federal charge for white collar crime. He had a state charge for kiting checks, for stealing checks. And then you put him in a position where he gets a whole ass checkbook that he's in charge of? What? <laughs> Small towns. Sorry, what? Small. Because he showed up to work while he was on work release and you thought he was an awesome worker and all this shit? Like, really? No, he's... Okay. <laughs> so... If he, is in, if he is in prison for money crimes, yeah. we don't put him with access to money. Yeah. If he's been in prison not once but twice, 
it sounds like him being rehabbed is not going to be feasible. Well, it sounds like like giving him access to a check book is maybe not the best right scenario he's, for him to be in he's not ever been rehabbed it didn't work for him he just yeah. did his time yeah and he was out like would you hire a, a an alcoholic in recovery to tinge your bar you no. know what i mean like that's not it's, it's just not conducive to like a good work environment right so this bookkeeper t- turns him in as she should yes queen and he was charged in 2011 with embezzlement and was convicted. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. He was sentenced to 20 years. Alrighty. Of that, he served seven. Of course. And it looks like as of 2018, he's out about. Of course he is. So, like I said before, this is not our typical, like, murder, abuse, blood, guts. <laughs> you know violent offender story but this guy is known as the biggest energy con man in history Mm -hmm. yeah and (laughs) you don't fuck with the energy sector in oklahoma no because people will rain down and people don't forget either Mm -hmm. no they do not and two like you don't fuck with people's money either no no Uh, that's where the murder and mayhem (laughs) then ensue i'm really surprised i'm really surprised that no one came after him if i'm being honest right with that much money that much money yeah and where are the assets that is my biggest question is i have got to know where that 30 million dollars went yeah me too i i'm because it's it's not like he was just taking let's say he took a hundred grand from one investor and handed it to another investor as their returns, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what he said he was doing, but it the math ain't mathing for me, right? If a hundred and twenty five of the five hundred people were the only people that got paid back, correct? Right? Correct. So, did he buy a car? Did he buy a house? Did he buy? You know what I mean? Like, did he open a Swiss money's bank account? Got to be it's... somewhere, somewhere. Yes, and maybe they found it, and it all got redistributed, and that was not part of the greater story. I don't know. That would but... been a great part of the story to include people. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I I just thought it was really interesting being like a part of the oil and gas sector. Yeah. Yes, and. It's just really interesting that the biggest con perpetrated was right here in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. By a 25-year-old kid. By, yeah. Man. A grown-ass man. A grown-ass man, 25 years old. That talked all of these people out of their money. He talked 500 people into giving them money. Yeah. And it sounds like for a lot of these people, it was probably their life savings. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Or more. Yeah. You know, you maybe should've... they mortgage cars to get it I, or mortgage homes to get it. I don't know. Because it sounds like people went through foreclosure, like people lost their asses over it. So maybe he should become a motivational speaker. He's got to have the riz coming out of his ass, I guess. But That's I just thought it was so really interesting. Crazy. <laughs> That is really interesting, but uh, in hindsight, I'm not surprised it happened here in Oklahoma because there's so many 
No, um, and people are always and... people are always looking for a way to make a quick buck. Yeah. And if wrong with that. if these people are telling you if your friend Donna down the street is like, oh, my husband just invested three months ago and he's already got a hundred and fifty percent return with this guy, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know? It's true. it's true. Why wouldn't you? It's true. But at the same time, I don't trust nobody. So I know. And not with my money. <laughs> no, not with my money at all. No. No. Yeah. So Oh my god. That was a good one, Shan. I like that one a lot. Thanks, Shy. If you've enjoyed this episode or you're just really optimistic that we'll only get better from here, like, subscribe, follow You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at You're Doing Fine OK Pod. That's you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore OK underscore pod.